0: Alright, so you guys can all play with your app, but you can't do it now. Put, put the apps away. All right. So last Sunday, I preached a message about strengthening yourself in the Lord and how David strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord. And the first way that David did that that I talked about was by talking to himself. David had to learn how to talk to himself. And a number of people reached out to me during the week and let me know that that was a place in their life that they were really struggling, was the way that they were talking to themselves and their inner voice in their head and that sort of thing. And because I knew we were going to have limited time this morning because we were going to be introducing the app, I decided to spend our time this morning talking about the way that you talk to yourself. And specifically, I want to talk to you today about how to defeat your negative thoughts. Each one of us have negative thoughts in our mind. I want to talk to you today about how to defeat them. We can struggle with negative thoughts when we're going through a difficult situation or if we feel like our life isn't doing well, we can struggle with negative thoughts. But you can actually have a life that you feel like is going pretty well, um, but you can go through a hard situation and you end up feeling like you end up having negative thoughts about that situation that you're going through. So today I want to talk to you about how to defeat your negative thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it, to make it obedient to Christ." So we all have all kinds of thoughts in our head, and the scripture tells us that we're actually responsible to take those thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to Christ. And how many of you know that sometimes when you don't bring a thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, it can spin out of control and you can end up in a dark place real quick. So the scripture tells us to take every thought captive. Now, I'm certainly not the foremost expert on the brain, but I've learned a little bit about the brain. And in our brain, we have these things that are called neural pathways. Neural pathways, basically when you think a thought, it creates a pathway. And the more you think that thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought again. We all have a, a filter that we view the world through. We all see the world through a filter, and the filter that we have has a huge effect on what our life and our experiences feel, feels like. I could take someone out to the front doors of the church, and I could open the doors, and I could let them see the world out in front of the church, and they could look out and they could say, it's beautiful, there's flowers, and I see people talking to each other and laughing, and there's trees, and it, it just looks beautiful. Beautiful and I could take someone else and I could open the doors and I could show them that same scene and they could look at it and they could say, it looks scary out here, it looks dangerous. There's cars driving by and there's people all over the place. I saw a bee fly by and they could see a completely different world. The world is identical to the world I showed the first person, but the filter that they view it through makes them see it in a completely different way. I think you can see that the filter that person looks at the world through is gonna dramatically change their experience and what they do in their life. Uh, The brain scientists tell us that this filter we view the world through is called our cognitive bias. And the definition that they give us for cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. So it's a mistake in the way that we see the world based in personal experiences and preferences. I'll give you an example. Let's say that someone grew up in an abusive home, and they grew up in a home where hands were never laid on them in a, in a loving or a kind way, but hands were laid on them in an abusive way and in a painful way. And let's say that person comes to my house, and they come to knock on the door, and they knock on the door and no one answers, but they hear a child screaming. And they start to feel kind of panicky inside, and they, they remember times where they screamed as a child. So they think, what should I do? And they're kind of freaking out, So they open the door, and they come in, and they see me and Tessa wrestling, and Tessa's screaming. And they look at that, and they start panicking. They think I'm abusing Tessa, and they run outside, and they call the police. What that person would have missed was that Tessa loves when I wrestle with her, and the only abuse that was happening was me getting abused because she was kicking my butt because she is one tough cookie, let me tell you. I haven't beat her yet. I'm still trying, but... We can see how the the framework that person has for their life, the way that they view the world, the filter they view the world through, is gonna dramatically change how they feel about life, but it's gonna change more than how they feel about life. It's literally gonna change what their life looks like. Instead of coming in and having a fun time and laughing at me getting beat up by Tessa, they're on the phone with the police, and the police are running, and the person's having a panic attack. Like It's literally changing the reality Of their worlds. Or maybe let's say you grew up in a house where parents said that money was evil. They say that rich people make money on the back of poor people, and money is evil. It's the root of all evil. They quote that scripture all the time, when really the scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. But they quoted that money was the root of all evil. And then you grow up and you have this job you want to do and you go to school and you get your degree that qualifies you to do this job and you're doing the job and you're doing well and all of a sudden one day you look at your bank account and you realize, I'm one of those wealthy people. And all of a sudden you start to feel guilt and you start to feel shame even though you've done nothing but serve the people around you well and be rewarded financially for it. But inside you feel guilt and shame because of the filter that you view the world through based on the influence of your parents. These filters will literally shape your life. They shape how you feel about the world around you, but they also shape the reality that you experience. We know this when we look at pictures. You could take a picture that you you don't like how you look in it, but you change the filter, and all of a sudden you like how you look in it, and you feel differently. This is a picture of uh, April and Jillian. We were sitting on the side of a, a soccer game, Uh, Last fall, and I thought April and Jillian looked beautiful, so I took a picture of them. But if, if you change the filter on it, I don't exactly feel the same way about it anymore. It doesn't really give me the same feeling. The same thing is true of the way that we look at the world. When you change the filter that we look at the world through, it literally can change how we feel. Let's say it was time for your annual review at work. And let's say your boss took two different people and he actually had the same exact feedback for those same two people. Same exact feedback. So he wrote it down and the first person came in and he read them the feedback and the person said, I work so hard for you. I'm sick of being taken for granted. You don't see all the effort that I make. You don't realize what I bring to this company. I'm out of here and they walk out. You take another person in. And that person reads to them the same exact performance review, the same exact tone of voice, and the person says, Thank you. Thank you for loving me enough and appreciating me enough to tell me the truth about an area that I didn't really see and I didn't understand. Now I know what I need to do to succeed here and to make this company succeed. Now, I think you could see that the reality that this person is going to live out and their experience in life is going to be wildly different. The one person, if they didn't just quit, there's a real good chance they're going to get fired. The other person is probably going to succeed and thrive and do very well at this job, but they had received the same facts. They received the same information from their boss. They just saw it differently and they heard it differently based on the filter that they had. We see this in the Bible in Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Moses and the children of Israel are headed towards the promised land. And they come up to the promised land, and Moses wants to know what he's going to have to do to take this promised land. He wants to see what it's like. So he sends in 12 spies. He sends in 12 people to look at the promised land, to see what it's like, to see what it's all about. The spies go, and they they look at the same land, all 12 of them. And they come back, and two of them say, it's beautiful. It's amazing. We have to go take this place. Moses, you're not going to believe what it's like in there. And 10 people come back and they say, it's dangerous. The giant, there's giants in there and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. You're not going to want to go in there. And it, what I've found is that I don't think this was just a coincidence that of the 12 people that went into the promised land, that 10 of them saw it in a negative way and only 2 saw it in a positive way. I would say that if you take a dozen people, probably out of that dozen, 10 people ha- tend to have a negative filter in their life that they view the world through where there's only two that usually see it in a positive way. Sometimes there's fear based in the filter that we see the world through, sometimes there's shame, but probably 10 out of every 12 people tend to see the world in a a negative way. So how can you reframe your situation? How can you create a different way of looking at your situation? Let's say that this picture here represents a day in your life. Let's say it represents Monday. If you look at this and you frame up your day in this way, if you frame up your day over here, you might look at tomorrow and you might say, man, I didn't have any rest this weekend. I hate Mondays. I don't want to go deal with my boss. I got to try and get the kids out the door. The kids are driving me crazy. My body hurts. I should just go back to bed. This is pointless. But if you frame up your day over here, you may say something like, you know what, I've got a lot going on on my plate. I've got a lot going on, but God, I'm so thankful that you're with me. The kids are crazy, but they keep life interesting and they make me laugh a lot. God, thank you that in all the stuff that I have to do today, I know that you're gonna go with me and you're for me. I don't have to face this life alone. I've had to fix thing after thing after thing on the car, but I think we got the bugs worked out. God, thank you for a car that I can make it to work with. And you can see that for that person, the way that they frame up their life is gonna completely change what their day feels like and change what their day actually turns into. The person that frames it up over here can pretty well guarantee their Monday is gonna be awful. It's not gonna go really well. But the person that frames it up over here, it sounds like they're gonna have a really good day. They have the same life, the same experiences, but they just frame it up in a different way. I wanna back away from this as a um, theoretical idea And I want you to actually think about your life for a second. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what you're experiencing. How do you feel about your life? How is your life going? Do you feel like your life is going well? Are you discouraged or disappointed with where you're at? Maybe you had a dream for your life. Maybe your dream was to have an awesome marriage, and an awesome family, and here you are, divorced. And you're looking at that thing that was your dream, And you're just like shaking your head like, how did this even happen? How did I end up in this place? Maybe you had a dream to have a certain career and you went to school and you invested so much in getting that degree that would qualify you to work that job. And then you got out of school and you couldn't get a job in the field that you wanted to work in. Now you're working in an unrelated field. It doesn't even have to do with your degree. You feel like you're overeducated for the job you're in and you have student loans to pay off on top of it, and you're just frustrated and discouraged. Maybe you have friends that are heading towards retirement, and you're watching them enjoy their retirement, and here you are, retirement like, isn't even on the horizon, and you don't even know if you'll be able to retire. You feel like you're going to have to work for the rest of your life. Maybe thought you would have been married or out of debt or in ministry or successful by this stage in your life, or you thought your business would have succeeded, but it hasn't gone the way that you thought it would. And you're thinking to yourself, why am I not where I want to be? Why is my life not turning out the way that I wanted it to? If you find yourself in that place, and I think probably most of us feel like that in one way or another, different things haven't gone the way that we hoped that they would in our life. The Apostle Paul knows how you feel. The Apostle Paul was in a place in his life, in the scripture that I want to look at, where he, his life wasn't going the way that he thought it was. His life wasn't happening the way that he thought it was going to. He, God wasn't using him the way that he thought God was going to. The plan that he had for his life wasn't working out. Specifically, the Apostle Paul was looking to spread the gospel throughout the world. And he looked at Rome, and he knew that Rome was the center of the known world at the time. It was the biggest central hub to the world. And he thought, if I can get to Rome, and I can spread the gospel in Rome, then I know the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. It was a good plan and a good strategy, and it made sense. But it wasn't happening. He wasn't able to go to Rome and preach the gospel. In fact, it went from bad to worse. Not only was he not allowed to go to Rome and preach the gospel, But he got arrested, and he got thrown in a Roman prison. So here Paul is, wants to preach the gospel to the people of Rome, but now he's in prison. He's in Rome, but he's in prison. To make matters worse, he's starving to death and probably believes he's awaiting to be executed. That's where Paul is at. And I think most of us, we would look at Paul in that situation, and we think Paul's pretty justified in like, framing up his life over here. Like life feels pretty dark for Paul. But Paul, instead of doing that, he frames his life up over here. I want to read to you what happened with Paul and let's see how he framed up his life. I'm going to read Philippians 1, verses 12 through 13. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting life groups. I'm never going back to church. I hate people. I'm done. I quit. Philippians 1 12 through 13. Now, <laughs> for anybody who's not from church, that wasn't actually a scripture. I made it up. That's what it would have looked like if Paul would have framed his life up over here. But I want, and would that not be justified? He's serving God with his life and he gets thrown in prison just trying to preach the gospel. And now he's in prison. But I want you to see how Paul actually does frame up his life. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 13. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ." in chains for Christ? Like how in the world does Paul do this? How in the world can he see God's handiwork in him being chained in prison? I'll tell you what Paul did. Paul, as I told you, wanted to preach the gospel to Rome because he believed it was the center of the known world and the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. So Paul found himself locked in this prison, chained up, And he gets a new Roman guard that comes and watches over him every eight hours. And Paul looks at that Roman guard and he says, this person has influence in the palace in Rome. This person is a person of power and authority. And I get him for eight hours. Do you know what I can do with someone in eight hours? And he starts to preach the gospel to this Roman guard that's watching over him. He leads him to Christ. He's telling this guy surrenders his life to Christ, and Paul's sitting there like, All right, when's your shift over? Where's the next guy? Paul starts preaching to the next guy, leading that guy to Christ, just waiting for the next guard to come. And Paul says, Who's in prison? You think I'm in prison? These guys are in prison. I got a captive audience every eight hours with some of the most powerful and influential people in the city that I wanted to go to to preach. I couldn't have asked for an audience of these guys. I couldn't have asked for a meeting with these guys, but here I am. I'm not in prison. I'm preaching the gospel to the most powerful people in the place that I want to see the gospel spread. Paul literally reframes his life and his situation, and it produces a different outcome. Paul could have just laid down and died and said, well, I guess I can't do what I thought God wanted me to do. And we wouldn't even blame him for it. He's in prison. But instead of doing that, he says, God has a plan and purpose in my life. What the enemy meant to destroy me, God's going to use it for my good and for his glory. And he starts to preach and see his situation turned around. And you can do the same thing in your situation. He goes on in verse 14. He says, Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the Christians were afraid that if they preached the gospel, they would be thrown in prison. And prison was not like prison here. I mean, prison there is bad. You don't get any food unless your friends bring it to you, and they're afraid to bring it to you. You can wither away and die in prison. There's all kinds of disease and nastiness. The Christians didn't want to go there. But they're receiving letters like Philippians from Paul while he's in prison. Seems like he's doing pretty good. He's telling us about all the good stuff that God's doing. And they go, why should we be afraid to preach the gospel? We're going to preach the gospel all the more. And if you put us in prison like you did Paul, we're going to write letters to encourage the church from that place. And the gospel begins to spread. And and Paul says, I could have framed up my life over here. But instead, I saw what God was doing over there, and I framed my life up over there. So I want to give you guys some very, very practical advice this morning on how you can reframe your life. How you can reframe your relationships. How you can reframe the situations of your life that you find yourself in that feel so discouraging right now. And I'll tell you, these are actually three tools that I've been trying to use in my life as I try and get away from this place and try and frame up my life over here. These are tools that I've been trying to use in my life, and they've been helpful and effective for me, and I believe they'll be for you too. The first thing that you can do is you can thank God for what didn't happen. You can thank God for what didn't happen. There's a girl that came home from school, and she walked in the door and her parents were there and she said you guys we got to talk it's not good and her parents kind of got scared and were like okay what's coming and she said you're gonna want to sit down for this it's really not good they sat down at the dining room table and she said you guys remember you know four months ago when I went to spend the night at Kim's house I didn't really spend the night at Kim's house she had gotten fake IDs and we went to the bar and we got to the bar," We drank way too much, and I met this guy, and I ended up going home with him, and I hooked up with him, and I got pregnant. And her mom just had a look of shock and horror on her face. Like, this was not what they knew of their daughter. She said, But there's good news. She said, He's going to be out of prison soon, and when he gets out of prison, he's going to go through rehab, and he promises that after he goes through rehab, he's going to get a job to try and support us. But he won't have a place to stay, so. He's going to come, and he's going to stay here with us in your house, and he's going to live here while he gets his feet back on the ground, and she just kind of let that simmer for a little bit, and then she changed her tone, and she said, actually, that's not true at all. I got a D on the chemistry test, but I wanted you guys to know (laughs) what could have happened in my life, and I wanted you to see that D on the chemistry test with the proper perspective. Like, I'm doing pretty good, right? Sometimes we focus on the things in life that don't go well, the things that are, we get in trouble for, the things that aren't going well, and we don't realize like those are actually pretty small compared to what could have happened in our life. Some of us need, just' need to learn to thank God for the things that could have gone bad in our life that didn't. Some of you have been walking under the mercy of God in areas of your life and you're not even paying attention to it. You need to look back and say, "That could have been a lot worse. Like it's not good but It could have been a lot worse. The car is totaled, but everyone's okay. Like, all the people are intact. Like, it's okay. Look at what could have happened, but didn't happen, and thank God for it. I had a friend a a while ago. This was back when the um, economic collapse of 2008 happened. I had a friend that worked at a lumberyard, and nobody was really building houses back then, and this lumberyard was really struggling, and my friend's boss, who owned the company, he said... If anybody will meet this certain sales quota for every quarter this year, I'll give you a $25,000 bonus at the end of the year. And my friend was like, game on. Like, I'm going to get me that $25,000. And he, he needed it. And his wife needed it. And they looked at their life. And they, they were already, like, spending that money before they even had it in their mind. Not really. They were just, this is where that money's going. I'm going to get a new car. We're going to fix this on the, on the house. And so for three quarters in a row, my friend met quota every single quarter. He gets to the last quarter. He's doing really well, but it's headed in towards winter, and like not many people are building houses, and it's going to be snowy and cold, and it's, it was a little bit harder to meet quota. He gets to the last week, and he's got four sales left to do, and my friend is busting hump. like He is checking under every rock for anybody who wants to buy a package of building materials for a house. On Monday, he sold two packages. He thought, like, all right, I got two packages left, I got six days, I'm gonna get this done. On Wednesday he got one more, he's got one more sale to make. He makes the sale, he thinks he's got the 25,000 bucks and as the shop is closing the people call back and they pull out. He was devastated. I mean he worked so hard to try and get this money and they already had stuff they wanted to do with money and it started to really, really affect him. Like he started to get bitter And angry. He was going to work late and leaving early, and he was miserable while he was there. It was really affecting his life. Then they got into February, and the company was doing worse, and the recession was deepening and darkening, and less people were building, and the the company was struggling more, and the owner had to do layoffs, and he was going to lay off half of the sales team. But my friend didn't get laid off, but he was so negative, and he was so angry about what happened Eventually, I asked him if we could talk a little bit about what happened. I said, could I help you reframe the situation that you're looking at? And he said, sure, whatever. So I said, are you really going to let me? He said, yeah. So I did. So I said, I want you to start to look at this situation a little differently. You didn't get the $25,000 bonus that you wanted, but it was the most money. You still got commissions off of each of those sales. It was the most sales you had ever done. It was your best year financially. You made more money to provide for your family in that year in a recession than you had ever made in any other year before. Then when the company was going through layoffs, they didn't even consider you for a layoff because you had been so fruitful and productive the year before, like you were considered one of the strongest members of the team. So they didn't even consider you to lay you off. So a bunch of other people got laid off, and they're out there trying to figure out what to do for work, trying to figure out how to provide for their family, and you're doing well. Your family is well cared for and well provided for. And he started to actually see his life in that way. And it changed the filter that he was looking at his job through. So he went in and he started working hard again and started doing everything he could. Fast forward like four years later, our our country has come out of this recession. Things are starting to recover and do better. And the boss came to him and said, you know, I, I remember when you didn't get that bonus that you were working so hard to get. He said, I know it was really upsetting to you and I saw that it was really affecting you at work and I didn't know if you were going to end up being able to stay with the company. He said, but then something changed and your attitude changed and you, you jumped back into who you really were. He said, I want you to know I really appreciate what you've done. He wrote him a check for 25,000 bucks and he ended up getting the bonus four years later after the company had recovered. Now, if he wouldn't have changed his filter and he wouldn't have changed the way that he was working, there's a really good chance he was going to get fired. He was going to be in the next round of layoffs because he was so miserable at that company. But because he changed the filter that he looked at his job through, it literally changed the reality of his life. It changed the outcome of his life. So the first thing that we can begin to do is to thank God for what didn't happen in our life. The second thing we can do is we can practice what I'm calling pre-framing. Pre-framing is when you decide how you're going to interact with a situation ahead of time. Before you actually interact with it, you decide how you're going to frame up the situation. If you go into um, a meeting at work and you have two kind of parties that are in conflict with each other and you're looking at this meeting that you're supposed to lead and facilitate and you're saying, like, these people hate each other, they don't want to talk to each other. They don't care what the other one thinks. Like, this meeting is going to be hopeless and worthless. It's going to be a, a year, an hour of my life. I'll never get back, and it'll be wasted. Then I can pretty well guarantee that you're right, that that is going to be an hour of your life that's going to be wasted. The meeting is not going to be fruitful. But if you look at that meeting and you say, you know what? These are two, pe- two groups of people that see the situation differently, and they don't understand where each other's coming from. But if they actually heard each other and understood each other, I think they would realize that they both bring valuable perspectives to the table. And we actually need both of them and both of their perspectives for us to move forward as a company. And if you approach that meeting like that, there's a much greater degree of success that you're going to have in this meeting, that greater likelihood that you're going to be able to get these people on the same page to move forward together. I'll tell you about uh, uh, an uh, instance of pre-framing in my life that really helped me. Some of you know that I like to invest in real estate, and that's something that's been good to me in my life. What you might not know is that my first real estate investment was an abysmal failure. And when I say an abysmal failure, I'm telling you, I don't think it could have gone worse unless somehow I would have gone to jail for it or something. Like, it was as bad as it could have gone. I bought, in the, I bought right before the economic collapse of 2008. I bought in one of the most inflated markets of the entire United States and one that decreased in value the most. I was lied to. I was stolen from. I had people that I worked with that almost did go to jail. Like, it was as bad as it possibly could have gone. I lost every dime I invested. I had to bring more money to the table to get out of the investment in the end. Like, it was horrible. Like, it was as bad as it could have been, really. And I looked back at that season of my life, and I thought, I'm never investing in real estate again. Like, of all the people in the world that should invest in real estate, I am not one of them. I am as bad as it comes. I'm the worst real estate investor this world has ever seen. And I did not want anything to do with it, so much so that I went like 10 or 12 years, went by something like that, And I didn't invest in real estate at all, was not even interested in the slightest bit. And then I started to feel like God started to encourage me to invest in real estate. And I was like, Lord, I think you're talking to the wrong person. Like, maybe you forgot how bad it went. You forgot how bad I am at this. Like, this is a really bad idea. And then I bumped into someone who I believed was a a really successful real estate investor. And he said to me, so when are you going to buy your next property? And I said, I am never buying a property again. I'm going to be a renter for the rest of my life, not even interested in buying a property. And he said, why? So I told him what happened, and I finished, and he said, wow. He said, it sounds like you learned all the lessons through one transaction that it's taken me a lifetime to learn. He said, most real estate investors learn all of those lessons, but it'll take them 40 years to make that many mistakes. It sounds like you paid all your stupid tax on the first deal. Said everything you learned everything you needed to that first time. There's a thousand things you know not to do now. He took my failure and he pre-framed me as a success. He said, you're going to do your homework better than anyone else. You're going to know what to do. You're going to talk to everyone you need to talk to and learn everything you need to to be a success in this. And he pre-framed me as a success when I wasn't even interested in it at all. And it totally changed my ability to be willing to move forward and be a success investing in real estate the way you think about things the filter you view the world through literally will produce a reality in your life if you think you can't you're probably right you can't but if you think you can there's a real good chance you can and i can't imagine what would have happened to paul if he would have framed up his life over here and he would have said you know what I'm in a prison, God abandoned me, people abandoned me, no one's bringing me any food. But instead, he found the grace of God in the situation. He framed up his life over here, and the gospel went forward. The third third tool that I see that we can use to reframe our situation is to look for the goodness of God. To look for the goodness of God in our lives. The reason I say this is because What I have found is that people always find what they're looking for. You are going to find exactly what you're looking for. If you think of vultures, uh, vultures always find dead things on the side of the road. I don't know why a vulture would want to eat a dead woodchuck on the side of the road, just got hit by an 18-wheeler, but they do. So vultures always find dead things. But I've never once in my entire life found a hummingbird by a dead thing. Hummingbirds always find sweet nectar because vultures and hummingbirds always find what they're looking for. And the same is true for you and I. You and I always seem to find what we're looking for. If you want to see what's wrong in the world, there's a whole lot of stuff for you to find. You're going to live a pretty depressed, miserable existence. But if you want to look around the world and find that God is still on the throne, that God is still on the move, that in the darkest times in history, that's when God has showed up in some of the most powerful ways, then you're going to look out at the world and you're going to say, revival is about to happen I can see it coming. You're going to say, see goodness and mercy chasing you down all the days of your life. If you want to find the negative around you, you'll find it. But if you want to find God at work, you'll find that too because he's out there working and you just have to see it. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. I told you last week some of the hardest things that I've walked through in my life, things that I look back and I would say, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, have been some of the places where I've met with God in some of the most powerful ways. If some of the difficult stuff that you're up against right now, some of your situations that feel impossible are the places where God is going to meet with you in a transformational way, then you might as well thank God even in the hard stuff. You might as well find God even in the difficult things. Everything you walk through, even the difficult things, God will use it for your good and for his glory if you'll let him. Will you bow your heads this morning? I want to end by just asking you a couple questions. What is the situation in your life that the Lord is asking you to reframe today? What specific situation, what hard thing have you been walking through and you've been looking at it in one way and God is asking you this morning to see it in a different way? Like Paul, sitting in the prison, and he doesn't want you to look at it as the end, but he wants you to see the potential. What is the situation of your life that God is asking you to reframe? And can you apply these three tools that I gave you to your situation? Can you th- begin to thank God for what didn't happen? Can you preframe your situation so that you can walk into it and succeed? And can you look for God's goodness in the midst of your challenging situation? I don't know what each one of you is going through in your life. Some of you I do, but not all of you. But I believe that if you can change the filter that you're viewing your life through, it's going to change how you feel, and it's also going to change the reality of your life. It's going to change what your life produces. We need God to come and transform our mind. We need him to come and renew our mind. I'm going to have a ministry team available this morning up front, and if you hear these last couple messages, and you know that in your mind it's been a battle, and you've been losing that battle. You've been looking at your life through a certain lens and through a certain filter, and it's been really, really having an effect on what your life feels like and what's actually even happening in your life. I just want to invite you to come find somebody who's on the ministry team tonight, this morning, and ask them to pray for you. And let's believe together for God to come and renew our minds, to come and transform our minds so that we could look at the difficult things in our life and we could begin to look at them with hope. We could begin to walk through the challenges of life and see what God is even doing in the midst of those things. Lord, I pray for each person that's here this morning. And Lord, as as they respond and they come up and ask for prayer about the situations of their life that they feel like you want them to begin to reframe Lord I ask that there would be a transformation in their mind that only you could do that you would come and you would begin to help them see it differently and Lord that they would use these tools to begin to walk out that transformation in their mind and Lord I ask that as they do that they would see the fruit of those decisions they would see the fruit of that changed filter that they view the world through I see to come and meet with each person and minister to them this morning So if that's you this morning, you can just come up and find someone on the ministry team to pray for you. And I would just ask you to leave the sanctuary kind of in a quiet place for those people and take your conversations to the foyer and have a blessed week.